it is a great time to uh, just give thanks to God for all that he has done for us. Welcome this morning. Thank you for being here at Redeemer. We're uh, delighted that you have chosen to share worship with us. In the Psalm 118, it says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his faithful love endures forever. You are my God, I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Pray with me, will you? This morning, oh God, we, are, we want everything to be for your glory. We want our thoughts, our words, our songs, our church, our community, our resources, our time, our lives, all to be for you. Everything ours is yours, and we come together to declare this uh, today as we worship you. Bless our time together with your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you have uh, expressed your appreciation for this series, and, and if you haven't been here uh, for each of the Sundays, I just want to remind you that you can go on uh, our website um, or the re- use the Redeemer app, and you can click on the Listen button, and you can uh, receive all these messages through the podcast and at least hear them. There's also print copies available out in the lobby if that uh, serves your need. Today I want to talk about how small decisions in our life sometimes have massive implications. But first I want to tell you a story. I was a sophomore at Asbury College, now Asbury University, which if you don't know, is located not far from Lexington, Kentucky. In the spring of my sophomore year, I was asked to be host for an off-campus event that was for juniors and seniors. It was one of those, you know, fancy dinners, dress up in a tuxedo, big event for a small college in 1972. And I needed to bring a date. And the guy in the room next to me in the dorm had a sister who was a freshman. And I worked with her in the cafeteria at lunchtime, so I knew who she was. She had, and so... uh, he had the bright idea that I should ask his sister uh, to be my date. Well, the evening went really well, and we decided to go out again. But about that time, her brother had other ideas about me dating his sister. He really only intended for it to be one date. And in his mind, and honestly, I think she could do, he thought she could do better. So uh, being the nice guy that I am, I ignored him, and I asked her out again. And I will tell you that John still isn't very happy with me, but I've been married to his sister now for 41 years. (laughs) And and I'm glad I didn't listen to his objections. But sometimes I think about um, the larger implications of that small decision to ask Jan out, how much our life has changed. Uh, We've got three great kids together, seven grandkids. She has been a partner with me in ministry while adding value to every place she's worked in her own career, and Jan has been one of the defining elements in my life. The point of that story is not that you should go out and marry the first person you go out with, but simply that a small decision made with a glimmer of hope sometimes has massive implications. The main character in this final story in the Elijah-Elisha series has also made a small decision of faith that had massive implications for him. And I want us to use the Elisha story today to show that there are small steps of faith that we can all make that will have huge benefits for us. The biggest blessings in our life often come from small acts of obedience. Someone once said, it's never the dreams you dream, it's the decisions that you make. 
And that's true. It's, it's not primarily what we think or feel that counts, but how we behave, how we live out our values and our beliefs. The story today is found in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, uh, chapter 5, and we're going to read through the first 18 verses. But let me share how this story begins. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now I want to pause there for a moment. Leprosy was the most feared disease in the world at that time. It began with a white patch of skin, like a rash, that would break out and then spread all over your body. And in time, your nerve endings would deaden, body extremities literally would fall off, your hair fell out, boils would break out all over your body, leaving gaping wounds of raw flesh, and your facial features became grotesque. Essentially, you turned into uh, something like the walking dead or zombie. In those days, there was no cure. There was a 100% death rate, and it was believed to be highly contagious. Verse 2, at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said, go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter I present my servant Naaman, I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Now scholars tell us that this was an enormous sum of money. There was 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, valued at something like half a million dollars and some clothing that was handmade and very expensive. Back to the text. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, I am God, am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he said, sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Here's the point. Elisha understood that there was a bigger purpose in this leprosy. To, that he, he knew that God had given leprosy to Naaman so that Naaman might come to know God. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Now, can you imagine what this scene might have looked like and... and uh, uh, Remember, these Syrians had been carrying out raids against Israel for months. The Israelites would not have been, you know, all happy to see them and sitting there in wonder. They, they would have been like, oh my goodness, hide the kids, hide the wife, because they're snatching up people again. But Elisha, this, uh, the story says, sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Now, notice that Elisha doesn't even go out to meet this important commander of the Syrian army. 
Elisha's house couldn't have been that big. It probably was just a little hut. And Naaman could very likely see Elijah sitting in, Elisha sitting there in the, in, the, in the house. But Elisha sends out a young assistant. Now, how would you have liked to have been that kid? This would have been like a national leader pulling up out here in front of the, our church in a cavalcade of cars with secret service and bodyguards and me sending out one of our volunteers to say, I'm sorry, but Rod has a busy afternoon. He won't be able to see you today. But if you just go three miles down that way and stop at the park downtown, strip down to your skivvies and slosh around a little bit in the Looking Glass River, you'll be healed. See, all Elisha told Naaman was, through the, through the servant, go and wash in the Jordan River. What did he have to lose? But Naaman became very angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Naaman was thinking there'd be some kind of ceremony. You know, we'd sing a few hymns, say the Lord's Prayer. He'd come out in a white robe, walk on hot coals, do a little dance, call down fire. And then he would feel this warm, tingly feeling glow all over his skin and he'd be cured. Verse 12, aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Parfar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Now, in case you're wondering, those were two huge Syrian rivers. The Jordan River was this nasty little river, maybe like a creek, 15 miles out of the way. And Naaman was thinking something like, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get me to get down to the Jordan River where there's going to be 10,000 laughing Israelites waiting for me, and they're going to watch this whole thing, and they're going to mock me when I don't get healed, and they're going to tell stories about old Naaman for a long time. Verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he simply says, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Don't you wonder how long Naaman must have just looked at his skin as those spots began to disappear? This is the good part. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. Remember, he's now coming back to meet Elisha for the first time. He'd only stood before him, uh, before one of his servants uh, previously. And it says, they stood before him and Naaman said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Remember what Elisha had said earlier. God gave him this leprosy so that he would know that there is a God in Israel. Naaman wasn't looking for God. He was looking for a cure for his leprosy. But God used this search for a cure to lead him to something even better than the cure for leprosy. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Let me bring the lesson down to where we live today. What if God, what if God in your illness or your pain or your suffering or your set of circumstances today has something for you that's better than a cure for the ailment? What if it's something so valuable that after you find it, you'll even forget about needing healing? 
Now, I've learned through the years that all of us, even the most together of us, have a few problems that we'd rather just keep covered up, don't we? On the outside, everybody thinks we've got it all together, we're successful, and half the time we begin to believe that, and then there are those areas in our life of brokenness. Maybe it's a drinking problem. Maybe it's a gambling habit that we can't break. Maybe it's an emotional scar that just can't seem to resolve, but there's something in our past, something in our life that we just can't shake, a deep unhappiness, invisible to everybody else, but it's rotting us from the inside, or a secret paralyzing fear. Maybe we've come up against an, obst an obstacle over which we, we feel powerless, a health setback, a loss of a loved one, a lost job. What if God's purpose in that problem is to get us to ask a bigger question? A question so big that when we get it answered, it makes the problem we're dealing with so trifling that we almost forget to mention it. What if God is his own greatest reward? The Bible says that he is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure hidden in the field whose value is so great that in light of him we'd let everything else in our life go just to have the treasure. What if God might be a bigger purpose for us in life than just overcoming our immediate problems? The point of this story is not that every leper who heads out to the Jordan River will find healing for leprosy. The point is to show us how sinners find God, or better yet, how God finds us. Let's see how this story ends. Then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. However, may the, God, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the God of Rimmon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Now he comes to meet Elisha, loaded with gold and silver and fine clothing. Huge gift to buy the cure. Elisha knows that to receive this gift is going to confuse everybody who's watching. Remember, he thinks he can purchase healing, the miracle, with riches. And if he ends up giving the gift, even in gratefulness, and, and that gift is received, it might lead people to assume uh, the wrong thing, that he's been able to buy the miracle. And the one thing that must be understood about the good news of Jesus Christ is that it is always a free gift of grace. The false religion of people says, God, I'll do certain things for you, but then you owe me. By contrast, the gospel recognizes that salvation is a gift and then says in response, God, now I owe you everything. Here's the point of these last couple of verses. Naaman's obedience is imperfect, but it's a start, and God receives it. And I think a lot of Christ followers today forget this. We, we talk like we come to Jesus, and then bam, uh, we automatically become this spirit-filled, radical, mature Christian. Our relationship with our spouse is perfect. Rap music on our iPod suddenly transforms into contemporary Christian music, and everything in our life becomes perfect. But that's not true. We start out 
in the Christian life as a baby, we crawl, we drool, we run into stuff, we break things, but that's okay because we're going in the right direction. And God is a compassionate Father, and if we're serious about repentance, He's serious about having us in His kingdom regardless of what shape we're in. So as we conclude this powerful story this morning, let me draw out the bigger point. Naaman's story tells us how each of us meet God. First, why is it that Naaman came to God? Let's think about Naaman for a moment. He is the ultimate insider, isn't he? He has it all. Successful general, prime minister, he's a celebrity. He's at the top of his game. He's the ultimate insider, and he's about to become the ultimate outsider. Because leprosy could put you on the outside like nothing else. It stripped you of your strength, your beauty. And when people discovered that you were a leper, they put you literally outside the city walls because they didn't want to catch the disease. And in Israel, you had to shout, unclean, unclean, whenever somebody came near. Leprosy was a sentence of banishment. It was a spot that led to certain death. But Naaman would never have found God had it not been for that spot. His spot of death became his portal to life. So here's my question for you today. What's your spot? Something that feels to you like a sentence of death. A need that you can't overcome. A marriage that feels like a prison. Children that have caused you a great deal of grief. A habit that you can't break. Guilt. Fear of something that's paralyzing you. A dull unhappiness or thoughts of your own mortality or maybe a health issue. Maybe your spot is that you really want to be part of the inner circle, like Naaman, but you can't get in. See, we all establish circles, don't we? And we are either trying to get into the circle or we're trying to stay in the circle. And nothing feels worse than being kept out or self-righteously criticizing those who want to be in the circle. That kind of describes every high school student in the country, doesn't it? Trying to be cool, trying to be in the circle, rather than sitting on the sidelines, disengaged and disgusted with those who are playing the game to be in the circle. And the reason we crave to be on the inside is that instinctively we know that we're on the outside. And the ultimate spot in our lives, in our soul, is called sin. And the circle we're excluded from, ultimately, is God's circle. And leprosy is so much, so much like sin, which is why it's talked about so often in the Bible. Because sin, sin deadens us. Sin grows in us, and it corrupts us, and more, more and more over time, we lose feeling. Our soul has this disease, and it's terminal. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, not even one. See, we've all sinned. The lesser spots in our life may be there to point us to the greater spot, the terminal spot of sin and condemnation on our souls. But I want you to notice how Naaman came to God. There are three things that he had to do to get to God. First was humility. Did you notice throughout the story that Naaman keeps trying to go to kings, but God keeps sending messages through servants? 
A Hebrew servant girl who is the absolute lowest of the low in Syria tells him where to be healed. And she says, don't go to the mighty doctors in Syria, but to Elisha the prophet in that he's among those despised weaker people in Israel. Instead, he goes to the king, who in turn goes to Israel's king. And when he finally gets to Elisha, Elisha doesn't come out to greet him, sends a young assistant. And after he rejects the prescription, Naaman's servants are the ones who finally persuade him to believe and go to the Jordan River. Naaman shows up with this pile of money and a lot of power and a lot of influence that few people of his day would have been able to have and put together. And Elisha dismisses all of it out of hand. And he says, don't want it, don't need it, won't do you any good here. Elisha tells him, all he needs to do is go to dip in a muddy creek seven times. And Naaman says, but I want to swim in the mighty rivers of Syria. What's the message in this? God does not save through the strength of people. He doesn't save through our money, our strength, our power. They're all worthless to God. Instead, God saves by grace through faith. Salvation is not found in our ingenuity, in our indomitable spirit, in our achievements, our science, our education. It's found in a despised man we thought so little of, we crucified him. The cross is what destroys our pride. God's verdict on our lives was death. The cross shows us where we're powerless to save ourselves. There's nothing we could do to help or contribute to our salvation. All that we contributed to our salvation was our sin. God's God's the one who did all the rest. What keeps so many people from church and from a relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe, is humility. Because it requires us to admit that there's this verdict on our lives and we're powerless to do anything about it. So let me ask you, do you have the humility to come to Jesus today? You know, this is a straight up question to the cynic who may be sitting here today thinking about how much humility it took for Naaman to cross that border between Syria and Israel. You know, he was the mighty Syrian, but healing came from this backwoods despised preacher in Israel. But maybe that's where you are today. You never thought you'd be in a place where you'd be reading the Bible or here, you know, and it's kind of bothering your pride. And you look around and think a lot of people here aren't like me. I'm, I'm different. I'm educated different. I'm, I'm more successful. Maybe God is doing the same thing in your life to draw you to himself. Do you have the humility and the courage to question your convictions and consider the things of God with an open mind today. Second element that Naaman needed to get to God was the, involves a character that's, I think, often overlooked in this story, a character so subtle that we hardly notice her, but arguably maybe the most important character in the entire story, and that's the servant girl. Think back to verse 2. This time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Can you imagine what this young girl must have already experienced in her lifetime? She had been taken away from her family in Israel. Her parents had likely been killed or sold into slavery somewhere else. She's been put to work in the service of Naaman's wife. It was 
It was likely that Naaman, who was the captain of the army, led the raid that was responsible for all that. Now, it would seem like this young girl might be thinking, ha, the old coot's got leprosy, serves him right. God is giving him what he deserves, and now I get to watch this old, decrepit body fall apart and die. But she's not saying that. She seems instead to have forgiven him and even speaks about him with tenderness. I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. Somehow, this little 14-year-old girl had the faith to say, I'll let God be God, and I'll let God be the judge, and he's the one who's going to make all things right, ultimately. I just need to forgive Naaman. She was suffering through no fault of her own, and if anything, her suffering was caused by Naaman's sin. But her suffering became his salvation. The third element was a simple act of obedience. Naaman had only to believe and then go submerse himself in the river to be healed. A simple act of obedience. You and I only have to trust Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Naaman came up out of the water with his skin like a brand new baby. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul tells us that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life begins. See, we all have a terminal disease, and it's called sin. And the answer is the same for all of us. It's Jesus. Jesus.